Thank you for joining us for the Covenant Gathering here on Eurofolkradio.com. Our host is Pastor Visser from CovenantPeople'sMinistry.org. We hope that you are inspired to grow in faith and wisdom by studying the scriptures each week with us. It is written, Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, and gather the children. So let us gather together for this Bible study hour with our host, Pastor Visser, on the Eurofolk Radio Network. Hello again, everybody. I'm Pastor Visser of the Covenant People's Church, broadcasting live to you this beautiful Saturday afternoon. The date is October 22nd, 2016, and I'd like to throw out a big happy birthday to my older brother, who's actually celebrating his birthday today. But I, like many others over the last week or so, have been a bit under the weather, and that seems to be common, at least here in parts of the Dirty South, round about fall. And being that it is fall, and October rust is a plentiful on all of the trees, I felt it was only fitting today, this afternoon, that we'll take a look at Satan who he is, and the Jewish belief pertaining to Satan. Thus, I have titled today's sermon, Satan the Enchanter. But I'd ask you to bear with me as we go along, dear friends, because as I said, I have been a bit under the weather, and being that I don't go and get flu shots, nor allow myself to become inoculated, seemingly there's usually, once or twice a year, an infected carrier who goes to Walmart and gets their free flu shots and goes around sickening other people. So, to be an optimist, at least I can say that that which does not kill us makes us stronger. So, oftentimes we do get sick, but that is Yahweh's way of strengthening our immunity so we don't get sick for what's to come. And I believe that many things are coming. Many things that we can see from the current presidential debates, for example, and the candidates' priorities round about this time of year. Seemingly, they love espousing the joys of infanticide, abortion, or fighting Jewish wars. And I feel that we're entering into a time of great temptation. And with that being said, we're going to take a look at the temptation of Christ from the three Gospels that it appears within. But to begin today's study, no doubt each and every one of us have read one of the Gospel accounts, if not all of them. And perhaps you, you, like I, have been reading in John chapter 8. Because in John chapter 8, it is a great chapter. Because it begins with a woman taken in adultery. And many of the Pharisees were desiring to put her to death. And Christ intervened, and he gives a great commandment. He says, I don't condemn thee, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That's John chapter 8, verse 11. And this charge that he gave to the woman taken in adultery was not because he condoned her adultery, It was because the Pharisees that were attempting to put her to death were using the Mosaic Law. In fact, 
perverting the Mosaic law that says both the man and the woman are to be there if they are to be charged or put to death for adultery. But without a doubt, we find this damning statement in John chapter 8, and I'm sure you've heard it many times if you've been Christian identity. But in John chapter 8, verse 44, Christ says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The father of what? Satan is considered the father of lies. And notice that Christ says in John chapter 8 verse 44 that when he speaks a lie, he speaketh of his own or to his own, meaning that the devil's children most assuredly recognize Satan's lies as truth or they accept them as truth. Therefore, when the genuine prophets are risen up who teach you what the Bible says, well, they're usually nine times out of ten mocked. And of course, that's the purpose for them, according to Peter's second epistle, chapter two. By reason of whom the way of truth will be evil spoken of. But right here, what we just learned is Christ says in the red letters of St. John chapter eight, ye are of your father the devil. Ye are of Greek, ek ex, of meaning and denoting origin. Christ is literally saying you, to a specific group of people, are of your father the devil. And it goes without saying that that is a different father than the father that Christ had, being Yahweh God. A very different father than you and I claim. And not only that, he says he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own because he's the father of all lies. So, an honest Bible-believing Christian would have to say, well, obviously, according to John chapter 8, verse 44, Christ says that there are people born of the devil who have a lowercase father that is not Yahweh. Thus, we must determine who he's talking to. And John chapter 8 begins on that note, which is why I said what I said at the beginning. Christ has to correct the Pharisees by saying in John chapter 8, verse 7, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone to the Pharisees, because they were what? The Jews. In fact, this is confirmed in St. John chapter 8, but verse 22, in addition to other places within the narrative, where we learn, Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So the Jews acknowledged that Christ denounced them. And Christ straightforwardly said, You are born of your father the devil. So... In beginning today's study, it is a New Testament teaching that the devil has children. And we just confirmed that from the mouth of Yahshua. And, of course, this is John's gospel. And John had the distinction of being one of the few apostles who turned from a son of thunder into the apostle of love. Meaning, when he was young, he was willing to call down fire upon the cities of the Samaritans. But when he got older, 
he spent a majority of his time teaching on love. And it is in St. John's Epistles, the first one, chapter 5, for example, where John tells you the difference between he that is born of Yahweh and he that is born of the devil. But before we get there, consider the third chapter in John's first letter, where we learn, beginning in verse 14, John says, We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding within him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Right? Very interesting statement. John is saying, this is how you know a child of God and a child of the devil. Now, about this time, many people may be saying, but Pastor Visser, you're reading too much into that. Well, all we need to do is skip up here in the first epistle of John chapter 3 to verse 9. John, John says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed, or sperma in the Greek, remains in him. For he cannot sin because he is born of God. What is John discussing? Habitual sin. And habitual sinners are earmarked as children of the devil. That's the first key for the children of God to recognize. That's not to say we won't err, but that is to say that we are forgiven. John continues in verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, stopping right there. John is saying there are children of the devil. Christ said in John chapter 8, you are born of your father, the devil. So we have two witnesses so far this Saturday afternoon to the fact that the devil has a progeny on earth. John says, in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of, or ek ex in the Greek, not born of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. So, John just said Cain was ek ex, or born of the wicked one. Literally, that is your third witness to the fact that there are an literal offspring of the devil on earth. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. John says don't marvel if the world hates you because the wicked world hated Christ so much that they crucified him on Golgotha. And Christ only told the truth. In Scripture, we are told that Christ was perfect and blameless. And had no guile within him. And this is going to be very important. Because in a moment, we're going to look at the temptations of Christ. And Christ did not find Satan's temptations tempting. Because he was perfect. Within Christian identity, there are technically two flavors of believers. There's what's known as dual seed line, which is what I espouse. 
And there's single seed line as well. And unfortunately, oftentimes, the single seed line faction love dismissing the reality of Satan. And we're going to prove, if time allows, that Judaism has no devil. In fact, it is their belief in the Yitzhar Hara, which is why Jews have bar mitzvahs to keep impure impediment away from them. Why am I spending time here? Because usually those that dismiss the devil de facto as a literal deity you do so using the general epistle of James where we're taught that every man is tempted when he's drawn aside by his own flesh. And while that first chapter of James says there is a tempter there, what it's saying is that Satan tempts through the flesh. And that, after all, was the first temptation of Satan against Christ. Command that these stones be made bread. But before we even get to that, turn with me this afternoon to Matthew. And I'm going to prove to you that not only does John teach that there are literal children of the devil, and that their father was the first murderer, and, of course, John says that Cain was born of that wicked one, and Cain just so happens to be the world's first murderer, because he despised his quote-unquote half-brother, right? But Yeshua taught a parable. And this is a parable that teaches that there are children of the devil and children of Yahweh God. And if you ever hear Yeshua's parable of the tares and the wheat taught in mainstream Christendom, they will usually always avoid Jesus' own explanation to the parable. By that I mean they love to come in and say, well, that teaching is just spiritual. They're spiritual children of the devil, those tares. And they always ignore Christ's own explanation. Right? First John chapter 3 verse 12 says, Cain is of the wicked one, or born of the wicked. And so, in Matthew chapter 13, it is here where Christ teaches the parable of the tares and the wheat. And I'm sure you know the, the account. We don't really have time to go into it. But it's much later in this same exact chapter, Matthew chapter 13, where the disciples come to Yahshua and they say, declare unto us, explain to us the parable of the tares in the wheat. And he does so. He doesn't for the multitude, but he does for your edification, for the disciples' edification. And so the Judeo-Christian false prophet terror bastard cannot come in and say, you know what, Christ was just speaking metaphorically about these tares and wheat. And so, we should begin reading in St. Matthew chapter 13, but verse 36, where we learn. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. That's the question. And Christ gave this parable. So no man can argue against what Yahshua says here. They can't insert their own private interpretation. Verse 37 continues, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. He that soweth the good sperma or seed in the Greek, where we derive our modern day term of sperm from, is the son of man. 
Christ is referencing himself being the root and offspring of David. We like to look at that statement by saying, well, of course, Yahshua was the offspring of David, but so also was he the root of David or the creator of the Davidic seed line. He continues his explanation in verse 38. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, four times I have given you proof from the New Testament that it is a New Testament canon teaching that there are children of the wicked one. Christ even continues. He says, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. So shall it be at the end of this world. Why? Verse 41, The Son of Man, being Yahshua, shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom, and all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. So, not only have we confirmed that there are literal children of the devil on earth, as Christ and loving John both taught, but that there are plants, known as tares, which Yahweh God did not plant. So, in Christ's own explanation, he says the tares are the children of the devil, right? An enemy hath done this, not Yahweh God, because the good seed are the children of the Son of Man. The tares are the children of the devil, making those tares a plant that Yahweh did not plant. And if this sounds foreign to you, consider this same Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 13, where Christ says, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. So Christ not only says that these tares that look like wheat and are sown in amongst the wheat are the children of the devil, but that they are plants that will be rooted up at the return of Yahshua. They're plants that God did not plant, meaning they are perversions of His original national and original order. When Yahweh God did the seven or the six days of replenishment before His own Sabbath, He saw all that was replenished and all that was created and saw that it was what? Good. But Satan is artificial, my friend, and everything that Christ has attributed to him, be it by title or name, Satan has a direct duplicate of it. Inferior, but while Christ is considered the bright and morning star, so also is Lucifer. While Christ commended Peter for being the Petros or the rock, so also is Satan the prince of Tyre or a false rock. While the disciples are considered sons of thunder, Christ said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Meaning Satan and his name, Lucifer, is intricately locked with the terminology light. And not to go too far off on this, but Understand, 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 18, John explains how we know the difference between one who was born of Yahweh and a terror that looks like a child of God, 
but is actually a plant that Yahweh God did not plant and will be rooted up at the end of this age. So in your own free time, look at that and strive to be born of Yahweh God because it requires both. In CI, we love espousing that Christ came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, meaning the race or the offspring of Jacob, the man. And this is true, but that's one aspect. You must be physically an Israelite, born native, and also spiritually an Israelite. And the only way to be a spiritual Israelite is to be a racial Israelite first, but to cease from sin. As Christ told the woman taken in adultery, go and sin no more. And so, in order to really prove that Satan is literal, several things must be confirmed first. We know Christ was perfect. We know he had no guile. And he had to be, in order to be an acceptable sacrifice, an atonable sacrifice for the sins of his beloved people Israel. Very important when looking at the temptations of Christ, because there are three specific things that the devil tempted Yahshua with. And all three times the devil came to Jesus and perverted Scripture. The same manner that he came to Eve in the beginning by saying, Yea, hath God said. This is important to understand because we oftentimes like to say, you know what, well, he's the father of all lies. That doesn't mean everything he says is a lie. In fact, his false prophets and the devil himself have no problem dropping a line here or adding a dotting of an I or a crossing of a T to change the entire meaning of the Scripture, more specifically the Gospels. So, where does the temptation of Christ appear within the Gospels? Most theologians will tell you it appears only in three Gospels. That is Luke, Matthew, and Mark. But we're going to prove today that actually it does appear within John, unbeknownst to most theologians, but it's found in passing, based on the three temptations of Satan. So, the account as it is found of the temptation of Christ is most expansive within Luke. And that stands to reason, because Luke, as a New Testament author, desired to have a more expansive gospel. And he fills in many of the gaps that are left by both Matthew and Mark. But Matthew has a rendering of it, and it is the second most expansive description of the narrative of the temptation of Christ. And Mark basically has an overview. So we're going to begin in Mark, which is the shortest. And that's found in the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1. And this is all that Mark says about the temptation of Christ. Beginning in the Gospel according to St. Mark, verse 10. Verse 9, actually. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, 
in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered unto him. Now that's all that Mark has to say about the temptation of Christ. So what we should notice before moving on is the devil came to tempt Yahshua directly after his baptism by John in the River Jordan. And both Matthew and Luke, as gospel authors, confirm this. This isn't happenstance. This is extremely important. Because it proves that the devil does not spend so much time tempting those that he already owns. But those that are imparted with the gift of the Holy Spirit through baptism are more subject to be tempted of the devil. So pray for your your pastors, dear kinsfolk. Because the devil doesn't spend a lot of time going after Billy Graham or Joel Olstein. He owns them. But he does spend time trying to bring down the saints. And many of the men and women who dare speak the truth on venues such as Eurofolk Radio. Another thing that we should notice is that Yahshua was baptized by John the Immerser in the River Jordan. And I don't have time to go into baptism... But part of the gift that is imparted at baptism is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Yahshua, being our perfect example, was imparted with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this appeared in the form of a dove that descended and a voice that was heard from heaven. And Yahshua, or Yahweh, finally sang, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Why is that important? Because time and time again, even from the beginning of the Mosaic Law, Yahweh God was not pleased with any sacrifice of lambs, turtle doves, and bullocks. It was always designed to be fulfilled, one-upped, and completed by Yahshua. And many people miss that point. Christ made the law stringent and stricter. Under the Old Testament, an Israelite could go, sin, burn a turtle dove with fire, and be forgiven. Now, he is responsible for the blood of Yahshua, if he does not repent, or covered by the blood of Yahshua. So, all Mark has to say is that Christ was tempted immediately after his baptism by a literal Satan. The name here is a pronoun, a proper name, and it means hasatan in the Greek. Its etymology or its core root means to perish, just like Abaddon and Apollyon do. They're both names of Satan, but they come from the prime root of perish. Because all those Edomites will what? Perish in the day of the Lord. All those that follow the king of all the Antichrists, right? Abaddon or Apollyon, according to the book of Revelation, are literally in bed with who? The son of perdition. Lucifer de facto. So, the next place we should look at in studying this temptation of Christ is found in the Gospel according to Luke. 
And it begins right at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, where Luke says this. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Stopping right there. Forty days and forty nights, just after the manner of who? Noah. What did Noah release to find if there was dry land? A dove. The same spirit like a dove that descended on Yahshua during baptism. Because baptism is meant to represent dying to the world and being reborn within the Holy Spirit. But being 40 days tempted of the devil, 40 in biblical numerics means uh, probation. So, he was who? Yahshua was hungry. First key to remember, Yahshua was hungry. Verse 3. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. That is the first temptation of the devil. Stones into bread. And that appeals through the flesh, just as James says in his general epistle. And we're going to look at that very quickly. Because I actually feel this is quite important when it comes to pro-devil and no-devil belief. But the first thing the devil did was command that these stones be made bread. Or at least tempt Yahshua to do that. But in 1 James chapter 1 verse 14, we learn, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So, Verse 13 even confirms, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So what's being said there? Because after all, the Lord's Prayer commands us to pray to Yahweh, God lead us not into temptation. Not to the devil. Yahweh, God lead us not into temptation. (laughs) Well, The point of this is that God cannot be tempted with evil. But evil came to God in the form of Yahshua and said what? Said what? Command this stone that it be made bread. Because of what? He knew Jesus was weakened. And this text already confirmed that. And when those 40 days of fasting were ended... He afterward hungered. So the first temptation the devil will do for each and every one of us is to appeal to your flesh. And that, my friend, is exactly what James said. But Christ was not tempted, was he? Because God is not tempted of evil or by evil. Very important. So, the devil came and said, If thou be the Son of Man, command that this stone be made bread. And Jesus answering him said, It is written, stopping right there. The first temptation and Christ's response is, It is written. Where? Well, it's obviously written in the Old Testament. And notice Yahshua didn't add anything new. His response to the temptation is, It is written. 
Right? What is written? Verse 4, here in St. Luke chapter 4. Christ says, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What did Christ quote? He quoted the law. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is something you're going to see time and time again. Because the devil comes to Eve and say, Yea, hath God said. And indeed, God did say in the day that Adam and Eve eat of that tree, they will die. But the way of the devil is to come in and to cast doubt upon the infallibility of Yahweh God's commands. Christ didn't fall for it. The devil says, if you're hungry, if you're in a weakened state, well, command these stones be made into bread. And Christ's response is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where we learn verbatim. He humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knew not. Neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only but by every word that proceed out of the mouth of Yahweh doth man live. So, the first temptation is to the flesh. In Yahshua's case, food. Christ, though, retorted by saying, it is written, I don't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And let me interject here. The famine in the end times, according to the minor prophet Amos, is not for literal bread, but for hearing the word of God. Taught faithfully. Taught faithfully. So, the devil came in, attempted to pervert. Christ quoted verbatim Deuteronomy chapter 8. What happens? Verse 5. And the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that which is delivered unto me, and whomsoever I will give it. I will give it. The devil owns the world. And that's something we need to get down. That was only confirmed in the very beginning of Job. And I'm sure you're familiar with this account. Because we do learn in the book of Job, verse 13, chapter 1, there was a day when the sons and daughters of God... Yeah. Excuse me. Hey, if there are any questions, go ahead and put them in the chat room. Yeah, verse 6, excuse me. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh. And Satan, proper name, came also among them. And Yahweh said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. In it. Walking up and down in the earth. Understand it? It's the devil's to give. The devil wasn't lying. Therefore, be very leery this time of year during the presidential debates. Because men and women do not achieve the power of a president without selling out to who? The father of all lies. The devil offered this from what? The pinnacle of the temple. So the second temptation was through religion. The devil first attempts to 
tempt Yahshua through the flesh because he was hungry. Then he attempts to tempt him through what? Religion. And he says, I'll give you the glory of all of them. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So we need to get this right. The devil offered all the kingdoms of the world because Yahweh God allowed him in what many people consider to be one of the oldest books in all canon, Job, to walk to and fro, up and down upon it and in it. It was his to give. That's the point. He even says that. Where the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All this power will I give thee, says Satan to Jesus, and the glory of them. For it is delivered unto me by Yahweh and to whomsoever I will. And therefore, thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine. But Christ's response is, get behind me. Get behind me. And I might interject right now, Satan is still behind Yahshua. Where is Yahshua? At the right hand of, of Yahweh God, my friend. But that's a study for another day. The final temptation, at least according to Luke, continues in verse 4, or uh, chapter 4, but verse 9. And he, the devil, brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, stopping right there, interesting. Christ corrected the devil by saying it is written and then quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. Therefore, the devil's response is, it is written. And then what does he say? Well, it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Against a stone. Now, bear with me, because we're going to take this all the way back to the Genesis account, the first gospel, the protoevangelion. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And an enmity that was placed between the two seeds. But before we do that, we have to analyze exactly what the devil is perverting here. 95% of what he said was true. The devil says, it's written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, right? That's the 91st Psalm. And in the 91st Psalm, we learn... Beginning in verse 10. There shall no evil befall thee, neither any plague shall come nigh unto thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now that's almost verbatim for what the devil quoted Christ. But he left off this final part. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. That's the part the devil left off in his final temptation. At least according to to, uh, Luke's account. And why is that important? It's important because this prophecy of it shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel... 
begins in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But verse 8, here in Luke chapter 8, Christ says, Get thee behind me. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. So the devil says, It's written. And he perverts Psalm 91 by leaving out the 13th verse. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 12, And Yahshua answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt tempt, Thou shalt not tempt or test the Lord your God. Thou shalt not test the Lord your God. That was Christ's response to the third and final temptation. Did Christ say He was not God? First, The second rebuke was, Get thee behind me. The third rebuke was what? Don't tempt the Lord your God said unto Satan, meaning that Yahshua already understood the earth and the footstool thereof belong to Yahweh God. All the silver is gold. All the silver, all the gold. All souls belong to Yahweh God. The devil could offer them, but Christ owned the entire world being God manifest within the flesh. So let's take a look before we move on to how Matthew renders the same temptation account. And then I'm going to prove to you that there's hints of this in John, even though many scholars come in and say that John does not mention the uh, temptation of Yahshua. In Matthew, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was in afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now let me interject, that is the only time in all four Gospels the entire statement appears, right here in Matthew chapter 4. For example, we already covered it in Mark and uh, Luke. Man shall not live by bread alone. But here Matthew adds, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. How does Christ respond? Verse 7, Jesus said unto Satan, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. A direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. So far, according to what we're covering here in Matthew, the devil, being a tempter, a literal de facto deity, appealed to, or attempted to appeal to Christ through the flesh, number one, and then through the misuse of religion to the pinnacle of the temple. But what else? Verse 8. Again, the devil taking him to an exceeding high mountain and showing him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, saith unto him, 
all these things I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So notice, every time Satan came to tempt Yahshua, he stepped it up. First it was, hey, turn this stone into a little piece of bread. Then you can eat and get out of your discomfort. The second was, hey, I'll give you power over the very temple in Jerusalem. The very pinnacle of the temple. I'll give you all power over the world religions. And finally, when that doesn't work, what does the devil offer Jesus Christ? All the kingdoms, all the nations, all the cities and countries and counties of the world. They were His to give. They were His to give. And what does Christ say? How does He respond to them? Get thee thence, Satan, for it's written, Thou shalt worship Yahweh only. That's only the first commandment. And the second by extension. Meaning, had Joshua consented to any of these three things the devil was offering, it would have been a violation of the first and chiefest commandment. Yahshua was Christ, or God, in flesh form. That's what his name meant, Emmanuel. The earth and the fullness thereof belong to Yahweh. But the kingdoms of men, the organized religion, and magic and or sorcery, by commanding stones, be made to bread are the domains of the devil. And all three of those, my friend, are artificial. That's exactly what the devil is. Artificial and instead of, but not the legit article. And then, so, so far we've covered this account in all three Gospels. And all three accounts say that immediately after Yahshua was baptized by John the Immerser in the River Jordan, he went into the wilderness. And for 40 days he fasted. And he became hungry. And in that weakened state, the devil came. And his first temptation was stones into bread. Stones into bread. Now, John does not come out and talk about this narrative. But all three of these points, stones into bread, the pinnacle of the temple, and power or dominion over mountains and kingdoms are addressed in his gospel, proving that John was familiar with the temptation of Yahshua. And it stands to reason he walked with the master. So, number one temptation is what? Stones into bread, right? The devil says, if you're hungry and appeals to the flesh, command that these stones be made bread. However, in the Gospel of John, we read in chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Excuse me, verse 24. John six twenty-four. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes. And then he continues on. The same thing he tells 
Satan. Except in John's account, the Hasatan or the adversary were literal people. How about the second temptation of the devil? The pinnacle of the temple or power over religion? Well, St. John chapter 2 verse 18 reminds us, Then answered the Jews and said unto Christ, What what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou do these things? Jesus answered and said unto the Jews, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So who is the Satan, according to St. John chapter 2? Who is saying basically the same thing? Destroy the temple. Who is the temple? I give you power over the temple. Christ says, I am the temple. Christ is the pinnacle of the temple. They were the Jews, my friend. So John not only has reference to stones being made into bread, or making bread in the wilderness, feeding them out of nothing, he also has this statement of performing a messianic sign. The Jews come and say, show us that you're the Son of God. Exactly what Christ was told, right? Satan said, it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee. Well, how about dominion over the kingdoms of the world? In St. John chapter 6, we read in verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And was even now, when evening was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea. And he said unto them, Be not afraid, it is I. So, what did we learn here? Well, St. John, chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. Remember, Yahshua said the devil suffers or attempts to take the kingdom by force. John has hints of this by saying basically the same exact thing. So as time is getting away from me, turn with me this Saturday afternoon to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. We're going to look at the very first mention of Yahshua in all the Bible. This is the first clue that a coming Redeemer will be found or will be forthcoming. And it is found in the curses laid against Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And what we need to look at is the curse against the serpent. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Yahweh God said unto the serpent, that word serpent... In Hebrew is nakash, and it means a whispering, subtle, magic enchanter. Thus the title of today's sermon, Satan the Enchanter. Yahweh said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, every beast of the field, on thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity, that's hatred, my friend, God says, I will put hatred between thee and the woman. Between your seed and the woman's seed. 
Does it make sense as to why the Antichrist nations attempt to make war with the seed of the woman in the book of Revelation? But God continues, And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, thou shall bruise his heel. Now does it make sense as to why, even when the devil attempted to come at Yahshua using the Psalms, he left off the part about the fact that Yahshua, being the Messiah, will tread upon the head of the serpent? Well, it should, because it condemned Satan. And Satan couldn't have it getting out that he was already preordained to be destroyed. In fact, he very weakly attempted to quote that verse and cover it up. Consider this as well, in light of what we just covered. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Paul, in concluding his epistle to the Romans, says in chapter 16, this is the final chapter, verse 19, For your obedience is come abroad unto all. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Be simple concerning evil, because evil is complex, my friend. Remember, that was what the devil tempted Eve with. The knowledge of good and evil. Only Yahweh God can know both evil and good and not be corrupted, but we can't. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, what? Your obedience has come abroad. I'm glad. But be wise unto that which is good and simple. Meaning, stay away from evil. But what does he say? Here in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It shall bruise thy head, thou shall bruise his heel. Do you understand what I tried to relay today? And that is this. That we have power over the serpent. We have power over the scorpion. And that power was bestowed us by Yahshua because Yahshua was the perfect example, the full pattern. Remember, after his baptism, a voice spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because Christ was perfect and guileless. He was tempted by a literal devil, not his own flesh, or else his own flesh would have been imperfect. And unfortunately, I do not have time to go into the fact that Judaism has no devil. But if, you in, if you're interested on why Jewish boys have bar mitzvahs, they're teaching about the Yitzhar Hara and their bedtime Shema prayers where they say, keep impure impediment, meaning Satan is my flesh, away from me. Then swing by my website. The address will be given here in about two minutes. And I have a study titled, Judaism Has No Devil. But Christianity most assuredly does have a devil. If Christ said, you are born of your father the devil, and that word of in the Greek denotes origin and means ek ex, Christ was not kidding. He was not speaking metaphorically. And even though, Judeo-Christians love coming in and saying, well, the parable of the tares and the wheat is just that. It's an allegory. Indeed, I agree. But his explanation of the same said parable is not allegorical. 
So we cannot add to the words of Yahshua. So remember this part that Yash, that Satan left off. Because he shall give his angels charge over thee. And so, not only did angels minister unto Yahshua those 40 days, and after these temptations commenced, and Christ didn't find a single one of the devil's offers tempting, so also do we have angels that have charge over us to keep us in all our ways. They shall bear us up in our hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou, Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah, shall shred or sh- or tread upon the lion and the adder or viper, the young lion and the dragon thou shalt trample under feet. Just as Paul said, Yahweh God will trample that serpent. And who is that serpent? Well, we briefly covered it last week in my study, Jacob Have I Loved. Many believe it is the descendants of Cain, the world first murderer, and many believe it is the descendants of Esau. But whether it's Esau or Cain, it does not matter because Esau married into the Canaanite bloodline, becoming a a mamzer in the process. So if this study has edified you, please, dear kinsfolk, swing by my website. The address will be given here momentarily, and I would like to throw a big shout out of thanks and gratitude to Paul English and the entire Eurofolk Radio crew. And so, until next Saturday, 12 noon, that is 5 p.m., London, this is Pastor Visser wishing you and your entire family great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this Bible study lesson with Pastor Visser of the Covenant People's Ministry. These teachings are recorded for you live by the Eurofolk Radio Broadcasting Network and can also be found in the archives of our church's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org. If you have any questions or comments regarding these messages, please write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, USA. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of The Covenant Gathering. May God bless you and keep you and be with you always.